My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I've kept myself from the ways of the violent. Through what your lips have commanded, my steps have held to your paths, my feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Ask, as for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is great to be with you on my birthday. Very nice. Um, I would like to just mention a couple things before we dig deep into the passage that Larry just read. Um, the first is uh, um, a reminder of something Tyler said at the beginning for those of you who might have missed it. Two weeks from today, we will be at Crown Point for our annual uh, service at the beach. Um, often we're able to celebrate baptisms in that service and uh, looks like we will have some for this coming two weeks when we go. If you would like to have a conversation about what baptism means in the context of giving expression to your faith in a public way acknowledging Jesus as the Lord of your life, if that's not been a part of your journey to this point in time, I'd love to have that conversation um, so just reach out to me by email, catch me after service, or sometime in the next two weeks. Let me know of your interest, and we can have a conversation. Um, I am so glad that our kids have joined us, and I just want to put all parents at ease. Noise they make is welcome. Movement they make is welcome. And please relax that I'm relaxed about any movement you as parents need to make to play up front, to move to the back, to stay where you're at. It's just wonderful to have everybody here, and I hope you are relaxed. I know they have a packet, um, and uh, if there's some adults who are pretty certain that you can't hang in there for the rest of this service and need a packet for yourself, just see Rihanna. She can uh, Get a packet for all of you who don't have kids but are feeling like a kid right now and want to have a sucker and uh, something to draw and a few things like that. I also want to say um, a word of gratitude. We have an amazing children's department and children's staff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Such a 
wonderful history at this church of that being such a strong emphasis um, from the days of Shelley through to now with Jordan and Rihanna, and then there are so many volunteers that come alongside, and then periodically we have interns that um, just kind of rock the house. And uh, Kana Morewood, you have, for the last two summers, done such an incredible job for us. Thank you. She's uh, heading back to Baylor to cheer on the Baylor Bears. Um, and so before you left, I just wanted to say thanks for all that you've done here. Um, I also want to let you know, I know there are a number of you who are aware of the fact that I am um, in the midst of an accountability process with the superintendency of our faith tradition, and I have welcomed the opportunity to be in the midst of that. Um, the dates for that are coming up on August 11th and 12th of this coming week. I do want you to know, without any um, comment on anything else other than with this coming up, I'm longing to not have to turn around on Saturday and try and make a quick mind switch to whatever might take place on the next day being Sunday. I've asked uh, one of our wonderful um, pastors that's part of our congregation, Michael Lodal, to speak next Sunday. So I hope you will come and be part of the service. Um, I look forward to being here. It just is nice to be able to have a, a breath in the midst of this and wanted you to be aware of that. So please join in as Michael leads us in worship next Sunday. And then finally, um, a couple of announcements that are focused more on prayer requests. We have for weeks been praying for um, Janita Luz, who had major surgery on her back, she comes home tomorrow. Wonderful answer to prayer. Ernie was in church in morning tide, and one of his comments to me was, because it was operation on the spinal column, he said to me, she's a lot taller now. <laughs> I love that. Um, I also want to make mention kind of an apology that I didn't know in time to let you know. I know a number of in our congregation were aware of this. I didn't know until after the memorial service that Shirley Rich had passed away. Um, her memorial service was last Saturday, and there would be many of you who don't know who Shirley Rich is. Um, her husband was the pastor of this church for quite a few years. And so that's the connection, and I wanted you to know, I'm sorry I didn't know in time to let you know about the service, but wanted to pass that along to you. And I'm guessing that most of you received the notification that um, Sue Kundrak passed away um, early this past week. Um, Kim had, her husband, had had a trip planned to visit Kim's, uh, pardon me, to visit Sue's family, Kim's in-laws. And then Sue took a, a downturn, she passed away, and it seemed like it was perfect timing for him to continue to go and be with the family in Wisconsin 
uh, following that taken place. The piece that you may not know is that just a few days after getting there, Sue's dad had a mini stroke. And so now he's going to go in for surgery in uh, just a day or two. And so Kim is there holding watch in that setting after having held watch here for so long. So please lift Kim up in prayer. Um, I think he's very glad he's there, but he's stepped from one place to the next in very difficult circumstances. So lift him up in prayer, I pray. So we are looking at the psalmist writings. Um, you may know, you may not, but Psalm 16 is one of my favorite, particularly the closing line of Psalm 15, the last verse, verse 11, but that's not where we're at. We're in Psalm 17. But I have the feeling that these two, if they weren't originally written to go together, they eventually, it seems to me, are paired perfectly in the book of Psalms. Because the language, and it seems to me what they convey, is really important as 1.16 is, I think, called a, uh, a, a miktam. And we don't really know what that word means. We think it's either a literary or a musical term. I, I wonder if it's a song of instruction, maybe. Like it lays out some of the instruction of what we ought to be paying attention to. And then Psalm 17 becomes the prayer. Almost as if it's a prayer that arises out of what we've learned in Psalm 16. And so... I'd like to take these two kind of in tandem. I love what one writer about Psalm 17 said. She makes a reference to this being similar in tone to the prayer Jesus teaches his disciples in Luke chapter 11. It's the Lord's Prayer, but it's the version of the Lord's Prayer that is brief and to the point. The Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 is filled with these declarative statements. Pretty bold. Forthright. In fact, it's a prayer that sometimes, if I, if I really understand the language, actually makes me uncomfortable. It, it feels to me that we like religion or faith to fit nicely into our ways of what we think is appropriate behavior. And I'm not saying that that's completely wrong. But the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 is very declarative. It is postured, we soften it, in the Matthew version, give us this day our daily bread. The language in Luke is far more like, feed us. Now, please. It's, watch over us. It's the language of Psalm 17. 
where the verbs themselves have this almost demanding nature to them. Listen. God, listen. Hear me. Now we can soften it. Oh Lord, when you get a moment in the busy things that you have to do this day, as you care for the people of the world and all of the things to keep the universe on course, if there is maybe a moment, a singular moment, where you might just turn your way to the things that I'm facing, I know it's not on the scale of the things you need to handle, but, oh Lord, just maybe, could you please, if you would, I hope that some way there could just be a way possibly that you would glance this way. That's not this psalmist. This prayer is, hey, hey! That's the language of Psalm 17. Anybody? Do you see what's going on? It is uncomfortable if you understand the way that this unfolds for the psalmist. And it's almost nagging. Do you hear? Listen up. Turn your ear this way. Are you listening? Can you hear me? You read through it. You'll hear this language. And it is a plea. Almost as if, almost as if somebody has come to the end of their own resources. I've tried everything I know to do. I've tried every formula that I've observed worked in the past. I've accessed every resource I know how to access. I've done all I know to do. In fact, oh Lord, I just want to say, as best I know how, I've tried to be as righteous as I know how to be. In fact, come to me in the middle of the night when all my defenses are down. Search me. You take a look. See if there's anything there. I've tried this all, Lord. Now I, I need you. I need you. I need you. I love verse 7. Show me your wonder, O Lord. Sometimes there's this wonderful reminder that God provides that's just right outside our door, or if we just look up from the pathway and see. Your wonder, O Lord, your jaw-dropping wonder. What just makes me go, oh. remind me of those moments where I, I take a gasp. What, what moment is that like? Go back to some moment in the past where you turned a corner and there was a vista, or you came home and what was set on the table, or you opened a present or a package and you were just startled. Show me your wonder, O oh Lord. 
Give me one of those jaw-dropping moments. I had the great joy in morning tide of digging into the Genesis passage. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31 is the story of Jacob as he's about to meet his brother Esau. First Sunday of the month is fun because I just get to keep digging into Scripture for like 50 minutes on these mornings. Starts over there and then it just spills into this place. I'm not going to go into all of that, but I just want to say that I think, I just think, Jacob had a jaw-dropping moment. He was the deceiver, deceived his brother more than once, deceived his dad, um, co-conspirator with his mom, but I'm guessing pretty sure he deceived his mom several times. She just somehow bought into it and helped him deceive her husband along with Jacob. It's just a family trait, apparently. And we can actually go back a couple generations and see some of the deception that Abraham participated in and others in this family tree. Jacob conned his brother out of a birthright, conned his father out of a blessing, and um, then was on the receiving end of the con that his father-in-law pulled on him. Now he's heading back to his homeland, and he's about to run into his brother that he hasn't seen in a long time. And I think he's changed. Not completely, but changed. And he's at the river and he knows he's going to meet his brother. And so, I don't know if this is a bribe or what, but he, he lines up his servants and his livestock and he sends them across the river. And he tells each one of them what they're supposed to say and the gifts that they're supposed to give to Esau, hoping that Esau won't destroy him now, that Esau has had a few years to prepare for this moment. Jacob seems petrified. He sends his family over. He's all alone. He wrestles with Elohim through the night, comes out of it with a limp, and crosses the river alone, having faced his fears and in a very different posture comes to Esau and says, Oh, Esau, have you received the things that I sent, the offerings that I've offered? And Esau's response, it seems to me Jacob is ready for a full-on fight to break out, for retribution to happen, for revenge to occur, and Esau's response to all of the things that had been sent across is basically, yeah, Jacob, what's that all about? We're brothers. Come here. Let me give you a noogie. I don't know what he said. I don't think it was that. But it was, <laughs> it was come here. Oh, Jacob. That has to be a jaw-dropping wonder of God moment in Jacob's life. What? Confronted with, oh, that wouldn't have been my response. 
Oh, I don't think that's what I would have done. Oh, Esau, Esau, Esau. So here's where I'd like to take you. I would like to take you just for a moment to the end of Psalm 16. The psalmist at the end in verse 11 says, You've made known to me the path of life, where I find joy in your presence, eternal pleasures in your right hand. The reason I feel like there's a connection between these two psalms in a very profound way is the language of presence. It's, it's the Hebrew word for both presence and face. There's this notion, as I've said many times, if you've been here for very long, that the Hebrews seem to have this idea that a person's presence, their essence, their character, could be seen in their face. To look into somebody's face is to capture the essence of their presence. So it's the same word. And so here it's, I find joy in your presence could just as easily be translated, I find joy in your face, O Lord. It's out of this verse you've heard many times, the kind of value we have as a community of faith, that we want to be a community that walks backwards into our future. Looking back on all the things God has done for us in the past, trusting God with our future, because we don't know what's yet to come but God. The author and perfecter of our faith is the one who walks us backwards into our future. It comes out of this passage where we look into the face of God, the wonderful hymn that says, um, uh, looking full into the face of Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. This, for me, has come back over and over again as a reminder of my tendency and the psalmist's tendency to be consumed with the gifts, the blessings that are in God's right hand. It says it right there. I find joy in your face. Oh, and I find eternal pleasures in your right hand. Jacob had an obsession about the approval of others, the birthright that his brother had, the blessing of his father, the approval of Elohim in the wrestling through the night. Give me a blessing, give me a blessing. His obsession with the blessing caused Jacob, I think, to miss the power of being in the blessor's presence. The invitation here at the end of Psalm 17 is an invitation that says, in righteousness I will see your face. Same word as Psalm 16. I will see your face. When I wake, I will be satisfied in your presence. The psalmist through 17, makes a request, oh Lord, here, are you listening? Can you do this? I need help. These are the circumstances I'm facing. The psalmist so beautifully comes to the end and says, oh Lord, I actually do know where I find my peace. I find it in your presence. I do know that it's not the blessing that brings me joy, it's your 
presence that brings me joy. Oh Lord, teach me, whatever my circumstances, if I might just see your face, I'm convinced that that will be for me a jaw-dropping moment. So let me remind us. Yeah, let's be honest. I'm just reminding myself. So listen in for a moment as I remind myself that I have two postures when my eyes are focused on blessings. I am focused on what I don't have, what's missing, what's the problem. Sometimes that comes with comparison to others. Sometimes it comes with comparison to the past. Sometimes it comes with comparisons to my goals or my hopes. And I become obsessed with what I don't have. A corollary to that is, I become obsessed with complaining about the problems that are right in front of me. I'm a pretty good whiner. I know how to do it. When I'm irritated, I know how to communicate it in socially acceptable ways to get my point across. I've mastered that pretty well. And it does nobody any good, particularly me. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of hope. But I do know how to whine. The other is becoming obsessed with the good gifts that I have, the blessings that have been poured out, obsessed with the material ways in which God has chosen to bless me, the wonderful friendships and relationships, and they are wonderful, an amazing family. But to be so obsessed with the blessings that I have forgotten the one who has made those blessings possible. That, on either side of the spectrum, leads to a, an eventual collapse when the blessings don't meet expectations or when the blessings don't live up to somebody else or when the blessings don't quite satisfy like I thought they would. I mean, they were great for a while, but I keep having this empty space inside of me. Or the flip side, when whining doesn't make it any better, when complaining doesn't solve the problem, when all my efforts seem not to shift things in any fashion. However, if I become obsessed with God's presence, I begin to see how even the thing that I thought was problematic, how I whined about how much time something took, Oh God, where were you? Do you not know how much time has passed? What's up with this? This makes no sense. And then to look back a year later and go, Oh God, you were at work all along? You somehow, like I didn't have anything to do with it, but you've been working in Esau's life? Esau said, I don't need any of your stuff. 
God's already blessed me far beyond anything I could have ever imagined. What? I thought I stole your blessing. Oh, yeah. You apparently missed out on God's abundance. It's okay, Jacob. You'll learn. What? It's in your presence, in your face, O oh Lord. That's where I find joy. It's in your face, in your presence, O oh Lord. That's where I find peace. It's in your presence, in your face, O oh Lord. That's where I find grace and forgiveness. That's where love abounds. The blessing is really not the evidence of God's love. It's the consequence of God's love. The evidence of God's love is in God's presence. It's the countenance. It's seeing God's fingerprints in the person beside you, in the person that's brought across your pathway. It's in the difficult moments as well as the good moments. God's presence. There I find my hope, my joy, my peace, my forgiveness. Oh, I invite you down to the river. Get ready for a jaw-dropping moment. There might be some wrestling, as Jacob had. There might be some declarative moments where you just let loose with your prayers. I just want to say, God can handle that. Forget with all the courtesy for just a moment. I'm a new grandpa. You probably know that. And I've held the little one as she just wails. But those wails, they're all different. There's a wail with, can you not get it together that I need a diaper changed? Or, can you not get it together and get my clothes on faster because this is miserable? Or, can't you get it together? I'm hungry. None of those wails are the same. They're very declarative. They're very demanding. They're very insistent right now. And I love every one of them. Because I find joy in her presence. I, I find that I find joy in your presence when I found joy in God's presence. I find joy in your comments because I found joy in the face of my Creator. Oh, I invite you to that place. It says in Scripture that God has prepared a table for us and invites us to that place so that we might be in God's presence. I want to say to all of the parents, this is a moment for you to decide for your children. If it's not time yet for them to participate, please, just make that call. If it is, there are times when I've had my children on my lap trying to explain to them the significance of a moment like this, but don't feel any pressure at all with the timing of your children in the midst of communion. We do practice open communion here. 
you're invited to participate. You don't need to be a member of this church. It's simply an invitation to the table of God's presence where we use the language, oh, this is Christ's body. This is Christ's gift to us. An invitation to have a jaw-dropping moment with your Creator. So join with me in prayer. Oh Lord, I thank you for what truly is jaw-dropping, that you have given yourself on our behalf. That in all of creation, you invite us into relationship. I don't think all of creation, all of the rest of creation is excluded. I have the feeling at times they get it better than I do. But you invite me and all of us to a table of your making. A table where you offer yourself that we might be fully alive. Fully what you created us to be. Fully living into the image that you have stamped on our hearts. So Lord, bless these elements. Make them for us grace. Your body broken for us, blood poured out for us. May in these moments we be invited to the wrestling match by the river that leads to the jaw-dropping moments of your handiwork and power. We thank you and praise your name. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, the musicians as well. During the distribution of the elements, Lisa is going to sing a song. The words will be familiar, but I doubt the music will be. A wonderful composer whose story... Talk to Lisa. She can give you the background. Um, composed this beautiful music to the words of the prayer of St. Francis. And in it, you'll feel the uncomfortableness of moments by the resolution of certain chords, the uncomfortableness of the music and words, and then the resolution. Let it be for you a moment of worship where you feel your circumstances and pray your prayer and invite God's Spirit into your heart, I pray. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for all. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for all. Come as you're ready.
blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Lisa, right behind you, the blood and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. We take in remembrance of our Lord. In a similar fashion, he took the cup. So this is the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood poured out for you. We take in remembrance of our Lord. Lord, may these elements linger on our lips. May they even linger even longer in our memory. May we hold close the notion that you long to be in us, to take up residence in our hearts to fill us with your presence. Lord, to fill us with your face, your countenance. May your countenance become our countenance. May it give expression to warmth and safety to others, to compassion and kindness to those with whom we come in contact. May it fill us with a kind of graciousness and patience that helps us to bear with one another, to keep no account of wrongs, to lift one another up. May it become the countenance of this body of faith, May we reflect you in our thoughts, our actions, and all we do. That's our prayer, O Lord. And you have united us by this meal. May we find ourselves inextricably connected, lifting up one another in our journey together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
Now I invite you to stand as I offer a closing benediction. Thanks for being here this morning. I don't know what it took to be here, but I am so glad you did. And now may God's grace pour over you. May God's love flow through you. May this week be a week where your jaw drops with seeing the fingerprints of God in your life. And may you become this week obsessed, not with the blessings, but with the blessor. Go in God's peace. Have a great week.